Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Games We Love, a weekly video game podcast focused on fun discussion, industry news, and more. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron White, and here, thankfully, back with me this week is my co-host, Kevin Brackett. Hello, everyone. Good to have you. I'm glad that you were not having another terrible week, thankfully. Yeah, it could. Thank goodness. Knock on wood. I'm not going to jinx it, but doing much better. Thank you. Awesome. And then with us is our other co-host, Bradbury Sprinkles. Oh, my goodness. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> now you got to explain it. No, I'm not explaining it. I'm not Bradbury Sprinkles. <laughs> you need to tell us why you're Bradbury Sprinkles. Oh, my goodness. Well, this was Kevin's doing from 2017, I think. Whenever the My Little Pony movie came out, um, I <laughs> okay. he needed somebody to review it, and I forced him to go with me, and uh, he'll never let me live it down that he uh, got a little certificate and named me Bradbury Sprinkles that day. And uh, I came up today when you told me you were excited about a new battling pony game that we may <laughs> bring up at some point. But yeah, that's the uh, origin of Bradbury Sprinkles. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> on that day, Bradbury Never, Sprinkles was born. I'm just, so I took my daughter back in the day to the screening of that one, and I'm just now imagining, you know, the two of you rolling up like locked arms on this dude date to see My Little oh, Pony yeah. movie. That's, I mean, yeah, if we go to a movie, it's locked arms. That's exactly right. <laughs> and I hope you're like skipping. It's just, we I don't were, know, I've just got this problem. I mean, Brad does have a man bun right now. So. Very true. We were probably yeah. the only people there with without kids. <laughs> It was oh, very, man. it was a, I don't remember the exact feeling, but I can imagine it was awkward, but we had fun with it. It was a cute little movie and you can check out the review on uh, reviewstl.com. Yeah, <laughs> it's about a yeah. C minus, right? Don't, don't I check think... out their review, listeners. Check out my review because it's a great movie and they're crazy, but Bradbury Sprinkles <laughs> is the best thing to ever come out of that movie, period. <laughs> I think well, the new gamer here. tag, new Twitch tag. <laughs> oh yeah, there oh, we go. Goodness. Yes. That should be a thing. I we vote <laughs> two to one. Change yeah. your Twitch name. No. <laughs> we'll, we'll put it up on the Discord for a vote and I'll find uh, a way to, all right. to rig it. <laughs> well, we're here to talk about games and we have a great listener question to get started with. So we're still getting getting to know us as we're having these first few episodes. And I thought we would talk about whether or not we prefer digital or physical game purchases and whether or not we have any interest in things like collector's editions of games. And so I'll throw it to you first, Bradbury. Um, <laughs> you know, you're just going to get this whole episode. I, it's I'm gonna probably be a not going to. I can tell yeah, already. I'm probably not going to fall off of it, but no. Um, so, you know, what is your kind of operating plan like when it comes to buying games? Uh, I'm pretty picky. I try to be frugal about it um, because there's so many games out there. Um, so um, I don't buy a lot of things at launch unless I'm really, really excited for it. And if I'm that excited for it, I usually do splurge on the collector's edition, depending on the property and how much I love it. A few of the ones that I have bought in the past was the Stonemason edition of the 2018 God of War. And I'm, I'm sad I missed out on The Witcher. Witcher 3, that's one that goes for a lot of money right now. Part of it's the collector in me because I like things to go up in value. But I hardly ever sell anything, so it's mostly a, a collector's thing. But a lot of times I got to be really excited to buy the collector's edition. If I ever buy anything digitally, it's because it's on sale and just convenient. But I do like to have physical copies of things, but that's that's where I land with it. It's really just how I feel about the game and if I want it or not. Bad enough. Awesome. So you're mostly physical then, I would say? 
for the most part, again, yeah, if there's a, if there's sales online like right like there is on PlayStation right now, I might pick up a few things if it's if it's cheap enough and I want to play it and I can fit it in my schedule, but it's mostly physical, yeah. What about you, Kevin? Where do you lean? Oh, I'm I might catch some flack for this. I'm a bad gamer because I'm almost all digital and I know that people hate it because it, you're just buying a license and you don't own it and you can't sell it and you can't trade it and blah 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 and all that stuff, but I'll tell you why I do it. Uh, as a dad of a young almost teenager that likes to game, it's a great way to save money because if you buy a game under your primary account for let's say PlayStation or Steam, or I think you can do the same thing with Xbox, basically what can happen is since it's under my account, I can log into any console, whether it be PlayStation or Xbox, and I can play the game because I own it on my account, but I've got my son's system set up as the primary, which means that he can play it on the primary system and we can play games at the same time online it doesn't matter so basically instead of spending 120 dollars or 140 dollars for us to get a multiplayer game i pay 60 or 70 dollars so it's a huge savings um so yeah i can't sell the game but i'm actually saving half price when i buy it uh and then i don't have to go hunting for discs i don't have to you know even walk up to my system and take a disc out and go put it back and you know risk it getting scratched and all that stuff so i think there's a lot of advantages to digital as far as convenience but also it's a price thing so if you if if the listeners aren't aware of that if they have kids or if they have brothers or friends even they can do the same thing they can set up one console as primary and you know buy the account buy the games on a different account and kind of share games that way to offload the cost a little bit and uh it's it's been really really good for us to play all those games together and uh yeah that's that's pretty much it Uh, now as far as collector's editions i will buy those from time to time only if I really, really love the game or the series. So for instance, Dead Cells, I sent a picture on the Discord. I got the big Dead Cells collector's tin. I haven't even opened it yet. Like it's one of those things where I've got, I've bought the game on every single system. So like I'm not in a huge rush, but it does have keychains and an actual vinyl record and a statue of the main character and stuff like that kind of thing. So it is neat. I do like to collect it for games that I absolutely love, but I won't generally pre-order like a $250 version of Tiny Tina's Wonderlands just to play the game. Like, you know, unless I absolutely adore the game. Yeah, that's kind of my struggle with collector's editions. And I do not. I can't think of a single one that I have ever bought. And I may have at some point in my life, but the problem I have with them is you almost always... Dead Cells being a completely random one-off of this, what I'm about to say, but it's almost always at the beginning of the game's life. So it's before you play the game. And if you wait, they're gone because they're scooped up by all the people who buy them preemptively. Like you said, Brad, you wanted, what was it, the God of War one? Or no, the Witcher 3 one. But by the time you knew that the Witcher 3 was one of your favorite all-time games, there's no collector's editions left to grab right unless you find one at a local retro store or something and then the the cost is just insane insane yep and so that's part of why i've never gotten into it is largely because i just don't want to make the purchase and then have it go bad like tiny tina's wonderland was for great example actually that you brought that up because it was one of my most anticipated games of this year and i dropped immediately like 100 bucks whatever it costs for those stupid games with all their DLC and season passes, it was it was over 100. I think it was like almost like 120. I pre-ordered the game, right? And then 
I didn't really dig it. And I've played it like three hours, one session, and had zero desire to go back to it. And it just feels, and if I'd done that, even more money on a physical edition, I would just be, I guess then I could recoup it though somewhat. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, that's kind of my angle on it. I don't know, Brad, how does that work for you? Because you're the one that buys them more than anybody here in the room at least. Um, it, it's uh, it's really just how I feel about the game. Like the New Horizon game was one that I I probably would have in the past gotten for gotten it, but it's really just my interest level. I thought the 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 elephant, what do you call it, robot, was way too big, and I it just it wasn't something I was that interested in. But I would like to have it. But again, I'm a, I don't even have space for it right now. So it's yeah, it's a lot of different well. factors yeah. go in into into my decision to get it. But things like if I could go back, I would have done The Witcher Three immediately because you can't find that for less than two thousand dollars right now. Or the original That's Last cool. of Us post pandemic yes. edition. I think is like three thousand. If a good version or good uh, version of it, you know, brand new, sells for quite a bit of money because you just you don't know what's going to blow up and be that good. For the listeners, and you know, maybe you already know this or you function this way, but if it's a franchise that you love, and for example, if you love The Last of Us and The Last of Us Two comes out and they've got that Ellie backpack thing, and you know that you love The Last of Us and you're probably going to love the game, just pre-order the thing because by the time you want it, it's going to be seven hundred dollars on eBay instead of two fifty. So I would say get it, like you said with The Witcher. I mean, look how crazy that went up in value. So that's the only way I could justify it is if it's something that I'm ninety nine percent certain I'm going to love and want. I don't want to regret not having it or you know, I wouldn't pay an exorbitant amount, so I would be stuck without it. But other than that, uh, sometimes the collector's editions you can actually pick up on a bargain, especially if the game doesn't sell that well. Uh, I So I love, 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 love Cyberpunk. And I, you know, that game had its problems that it had, but I absolutely loved it. I bought it on PC and played through it, so I didn't have any bugs or anything and loved it. But then the Xbox and the PlayStation collector's editions started selling really cheap because nobody wanted the game and they didn't want to buy the real expensive ones. So I actually picked up the collector's edition of that on a discounted price. And that came with a statue and a steel book and an art book and all that stuff. And so I paid half price and you know so you can get lucky sometimes they don't sell as well you know uh spongebob there's that uh spongebob bikini bottom like the last big game that came out i got an xbox version of that on amazon for 65 percent off i think and it came with a really cool spongebob statue and some other collectible things like i'll just pick up collector's <laughs> editions on discount because it's it's like cheaper than buying a statue by itself and you get a game and some spongebob socks and a spatula or something you know like it's just they give you some fun Ooh, things spatula. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Sorry. <laughs> well, that's cool. But I, well, uh, with the digital physical, just so you know, Kevin, you're not alone. I am the bad gamer too. I will say I have, with no current spouse and kids that are pretty much grown, I am able to spend more money right now on disposable things like video games than maybe a lot of people do, and that's part of why I can be all digital. And you know, I hunt sales absolutely current PlayStation sale, for example, is popping off and it's got just hundreds of games that are worth owning and playing. And I own quite a few of them. <laughs> Found out about that by accident. In fact, I went to buy Final Fantasy 14 and I was all hyped about it. And then I was like, why won't this let me buy it? And <laughs> to find out I did buy it like two years ago. And, and it was cheaper than it is on sale now. Yeah, You're like me when it when it comes actually. to digital libraries, I don't even get me started on Steam. Sometimes I I'll saw, see those crazy, yeah. 
those uh, Steam sales or bundles or whatever, and I'll buy them. Like especially, okay, if you don't know about Humble Bundle, it's great. The yes. money goes to charity. You can decide what split goes to the developers and the charities and all that. And you can get 10 or 15 games for $12 or more if you choose to donate more. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, this is great. And then I own half of them already because I've already uh, you know acquired them like you have. And so yeah, I'm really bad at that too. Yeah. I buy them across all different consoles. I've gone back and forth about who my main console is so many times and it just doesn't really matter. I play them all. I play... I honestly will buy things where they're cheapest and then I will double buy a lot of games as well just like you do Kevin just because of convenience it's part of why I love digital libraries is convenience I don't want to get up and change a disc uh, you, you may I almost actually purchased Link's Awakening remake the other day I had it in my Amazon cart and and then I kind of paused for a second I was like wait what am I and I got up and I went and opened a cabinet and sure enough it's the one Nintendo Switch game that I still physically own. I was like, I know I played this. Why can't I download it from the store? And and I I, mean, I was oh. ready to buy it again, you know, and on a digital version of it. But I have it right there. All I had to do was go literally put the cartridge in. But I'm so lazy that I would. In, in many cases, I'll just rebuy it and go sell the physical edition back. And I used to do that a lot. You know, I'd buy the physical, sell it back to GameStop. Now I just I'm all digital. But it sounds like you know we have a varied way of doing it, and that's. Awesome, because it really is all about personal preference. Well, let's go and talk about actual games themselves for a while. So Kevin, I want to start with you because you did not get to join us last week, and we were all excited. We all played the same game, and we were going to talk about it, and sadly, you weren't able to join us to give us your thoughts, and, and kind of, maybe you can break a tie, honestly, uh, when it comes to Tunic, Brad and I had this great discussion back and forth, had a little bit of a different experience with that game. So maybe you could start there and tell us what you think about it. And then, you know, what else have you been playing, man? Sure. Well, it was sad not being there last week, but I did enjoy your discussion. I thought you guys did a great review of Tunic and you shared a lot of my thoughts. So I don't want to go through and say all the same things again. What I will say is the the pros, I really enjoyed the art style. I, I loved it. I'm a huge Legend of Zelda Link to the Past fan. So I love that you guys were shouting out the, the similarities and the play style of, of that game. I I absolutely love the, the cute animation of the fox and everything. It's It's a really cute looking game and a fun game to play. Uh, the bad side of it is that I think it's too hard. It's just really a difficult game. I think it's so difficult that it goes beyond challenging to where it's like break your controller in half difficult where uh, the there needs to be difficult levels maybe that you can change, not like cheats or just turning invincibility on. But I, I think the game's too hard and it makes it frustrating to play. I spent about six hours playing the game. Well, first of all, like you guys talked about, kind of a funny story, but I spent six hours playing the game. I said, this game is way too hard. I even messaged Aaron. I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can keep playing this game. Well, it wasn't until six hours in because there's no instructions. You have to piece together the instructions and they're in a different language and you have, that's part of the challenge, which is fine as a puzzle. I didn't know you could upgrade anything. So I played six hours on level one stats of everything. So I'm impressed that I got as far I as I did at <laughs> level one. And then, so I got to the first boss or whatever one of the first bosses, I don't know if you can play them out of order, but I got all the way there on level one. And then I go, okay, well, I feel dumb, but I finally pieced together the instructions that said, oh, you can go to the fountain and upgrade stuff. So I got stuff to like level four and level three and I was upgrading, got to the boss, still could not do it. I, I tried over and over and over to the point where I'm like, well, this, this just isn't 
something fun. I'll never beat this. Like, I don't think it was a Metroid situation where it's like, oh, if I just give it one more try. I was knocking the guy, the boss's health bar one third down and dying. It was, I mean, there's no way. And I want to continue the game for the story and find more instructions and play against more bosses and stuff. But if I can't get past the first boss and I quit, I don't know. That's not fun to me. So I think the game is too hard. I tried to beat the boss with turning the unlimited stamina on, like you guys said. I was like, okay, cool. They're giving me permission to kind of do that because I hate doing that in games, but it's in the menu, right? It's it's not a cheat code. It's an option. So I tried it, couldn't get past it. So I turned on the invincibility and just beat that boss because I was like, here's here's one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to quit this and never play it again because it's not fun. It was fun, but it's not anymore. Or I'm going to try to get past this boss and play more of the game. But that would be my big recommendation is have some kind of difficulty level. And I I don't think it's just because like I I mean yeah sure you can say get good or whatever but like I don't think it's because I'm not that good of a gamer and and maybe and I've played like Souls games and I know how to parry and roll and all that stuff I don't think it's necessarily my skill I think the game is just too hard and the mechanics don't work right like when I would roll when I would press A to roll when they would attack like I could not time it I don't think the mechanics are good enough to where I could hone in on pressing the button and timing it right it just didn't work and so i was getting frustrated and decided that the only way to continue on in the game is to put some of those menu help things on so did you end up going on forward then because it sounds well it sounds like you have the same experience i did maybe even worse with regards <laughs> to the bosses but i agree with you 100 percent. and if you guys haven't listened to our episode from last week by all means go back and check that one out and you'll get a lot of Brad's positive thoughts on the game there. <laughs> I'm more in the middle, but I, I do agree. I just think that it's so difficult with the mechanics not being tight enough to match the difficulty of yeah. the way that the bosses are knocking you down. You know, you you need a Souls-like level of game development and polish in those mechanics to make you have the feeling like you can succeed and it is your fault and not one of the weirdest things in this game is the role like you are the role and sprint. I've never experienced a game where you roll and you hold down the button as you're ending a roll. And that's how you take off in a sprint. It is <laughs> mind boggling bonkers. It took me so long and I never quite got used to it. I, I would, and sprinting out of danger is a, and rolling out of it. Those are very important concepts in difficult games right and i just i could not get that mechanic down it just never felt quite good to me so i don't know i'm i feel justified i feel good to know that i'm not alone um and no, yeah, is just I, better than yeah. us the, the, <laughs> well, no, no 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 the, the most frustrating part of the game was was the bosses and the combat for sure what i found the most appealing and the, the thing that excited me most about the game was the exploration and the discovery of things like putting together the the instruction manual and then learning like the things that were there the whole time that we didn't know or the things that were behind corners and, you know, just mechanics from the game that I didn't realize were part of the game until hours in, you know, the just the, you know, the not holding your hand and just kind of giving you a little, a little push in the right direction. And those kind of things is what really made me appreciate the game. But yeah, you guys are not wrong about the combat and the boss fights. It was very struggling at times. I texted Aaron a couple of times, like, this is going to be like, I don't know that if I can continue. <laughs> and well, and, and you guys even said like you ended up turning on the stamina thing. So it's not like, oh, well, 
I'm just bad at the game and you guys flew through it. Like you even had to have help. The game is oh, yeah. too difficult to play without help. And I know that it's in the menu like that, but I don't think you should have to go in the menu and start turning on stamina and invincibility things. Like make the game challenging enough so you can actually beat it without help like that. It, it, but there, I do want to say the positives again, the the art style, the fun piecing things together, uh, the combat. Once I got used to it against normal enemies, you know, I, I got the hang of it. I thought it's really fun. The weapons. I There's a lot to like about the game and I want to go on and learn all that stuff, which is why I decided to go against my, like, I hate to, when I've played a game the first time, I hate to, what I call cheat, I hate to have any kind of assistance, but I like the game enough to where I kind of want to go through and learn the story and, and these things, so it's the only way I could do it, and I hope that at some point they uh, balance the difficulty a little bit and fine-tune the mechanics, because I think there's a really neat game here, uh, and I just wish that I could have played it a little bit more organically and, and beat it, you know, without that help, and so I, I may try it again. You might have to wait till Tunic 2, Electric Boogaloo. Oh, (laughs) my goodness. (laughs) You call me Bradbury Sprinkles, I'm going to make silly jokes. Oh, gosh. Hey, that's fine. (laughs) That's totally fine. (laughs) Well, anything else uh, you've been up to, Kevin? Do you got time to play other stuff or just banging your head against the wall with Tunic? (laughs) <laughs> no, I've, I've been playing a bunch of little stuff here and there, actually. Uh, part of the reason is because I got a Steam Deck, and it's really cool. Oh, the first of us. There we go. Wow. Congrats. I didn't know you had one. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, I just picked it up yesterday, actually. It's super cool. The Steam Deck is amazing, an amazing little piece of hardware. I got the 512 gigabyte, like the the 599 one. It is the best, hands down, the best portable system I've ever played in my life. Imagine if a Nintendo Switch had like awesome games that looked high def and played in 60 frames a second and was comfortable to hold. And that is what the Steam Deck is. It's amazing. It's 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 what you wish the Switch could be. You wish the Switch could be in uh you know a, a beefy hardware, sixty frames per second machine, and it's so comfortable to hold. I can't believe it. Like I thought, okay, I'm gonna use this, you know, maybe sometimes portable, and then most of the time I'll hook it up to a TV just so I can bring it between rooms or whatever. But no, I mean I love the way this thing is in handheld mode and could not believe how good the games played on it. Like it really, they've optimized the hardware and there's a list of like, I don't know if it's a hundred and something games. There's a huge library there. The games are actually optimized for the Steam Deck. And so one of the games that I picked up was this game called Enslaved Odyssey to the West. And I posted about it in the Discord. I had never heard of this game before, but I was looking up stuff about Alex Garland because his new film Men is out. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I know Brad could talk a little bit about it but i was looking up some alex garland stuff and could not believe that i found a video game he co-wrote and it's it's a really neat adventure game uh i think that you guys would really dig it not only because of the writing and i haven't gotten that far into the story but the mechanics the gameplay is a lot like a an uncharted game or a tomb raider game it's that type of an action game where there's puzzles to solve and it's really neat because you have a partner it, it's it's weird it's like a futuristic but 
also a game that kind of takes place in the past. So it's this weird, I, I really don't know too much about the story yet, but you start off the game in this spaceship and you're climbing all around and the spaceship's destructing around you. So it's kind of like quick time events, but you're you're trying to escape while this ship is crashing. But uh, you're, you're this main character that goes by the nickname of Monkey because he climbs all around and, and he's really big, strong looking, almost looks like a wrestler. He's this huge bulky guy and he ends up finding this woman who becomes your partner in the game and she knows all the tech and you are the the brawn and you work together in kind of a i'm trying to think of another game that's similar but it takes two is the most recent game i've played where you have to work together as a team to actually do like to solve puzzles but think of like resident evil or any other game where there's like another person that can boost you up or you actually can pick up the woman and throw her to uh, like up to a an area that's up top and she can drop a ladder down for you it's one of those games where you don't actually control the other character but you end up placing her somewhere or you tell her to go put a, sh- a distraction up or to come to you or to run somewhere else and so you kind of like point her to what to do while you're distracting enemies or fighting enemies so anyway it's a really really fun game and i'm digging it and i played it only on the steam deck and it runs in like on handheld mode it looks super high def it's 60 frames a second really smooth and i'm loving the experience of the game and the steam deck did you try rogue legacy 2 on it is that compatible yet rogue legacy 2 is it compatible is. i've did, i've i've downloaded it i've not played it on there yet but i can only imagine that if this game which is like a like imagine uncharted or tomb raider it's a 3d type of game like that third person with all these things going on. I imagine a game like Rogue Legacy, a 2D type of game, would run amazing on it. So I am excited to check that out. Screen size comparison to the Switch. I don't know if you have an OLED or an old school Switch, but like, how would you say the screen size compares? I have an old school, but I think it's around the size of the OLED. So it's a little bit bigger than a traditional Switch. But the the quality of it, I haven't, I've seen an OLED in the store. I haven't actually, because I don't own one, but um, the, the screen is really bright. I mean, on the model I got, I think it has the anti-reflective or whatever. They upgrade the screen a little bit on the higher end Steam Deck, but it's, really clear really bright it, it it looks amazing i'm again for a portable system i'm really impressed with the the fidelity of the screen on it and and the anti-reflective one is really nice i think if you get the base model you don't get the anti-reflective so i do think that with all you get there's um there's the anti-reflective screen there's the higher end memory so it's 512 of it's like a solid state. The The type of memory it is is an upgraded, not only a capacity, but it's a much faster memory. So you get a performance boost with that. You get a carrying case included with it. So if you can pre-order it, I know they're not available for a long time, but if, you've, if you're a gamer that especially travels a lot or you think you're going to use it portable, I recommend doing the upgrades just so you can get the better screen and the 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 faster memory for the performance because for, i mean i'm really really impressed with it again i i did not expect to love it as much as i do and i think i'm gonna end up using this little thing a lot and i'm not usually a portable gamer but i thought oh this thing's kind of big and i hate holding a switch a switch in portable mode or handheld mode i i cannot stand i don't think it's comfortable it's awkward but it actually for all the performance and and the screen size and everything this the steam deck is incredibly light it doesn't 
feel like you're like struggling to hold it up or it's not awkward the way that it's shaped with your hands and everything it's it's really comfortable does it have a mouse pad i feel like i saw like a little thumb track pad or something on there yeah both for... sides actually uh it's a touch screen so you can actually okay. use the touch screen as a mouse but the it has a d-pad it has and it has two analog sticks it has two trackpad sensors so there's one for your left hand and your right hand that are underneath the analog sticks there's your regular bumper and shoulder buttons but then on the back like the back middle of the system there's two more sets almost like a an xbox elite controller with the paddles on the back there's those built into it there are so many different buttons built into this thing but it doesn't weigh it down it doesn't feel awkward i'm really impressed with I mean, I think this is the ultimate handheld. I've never seen anything like it. And I know the thing has been so hyped up, but I'm telling you right now, just from the day, day and a half of playing with it, it is it is every bit as good as they say it is. Awesome. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I had one <laughs> pre-ordered and I, I had the, the top edition, whatever the fancy, fancy one was, and I was Q1. So I, I I ordered one right when it got announced or reserved my spot in line and ended up canceling it, I want to say, this spring, simply because I realized it's just not something I would use. I, I get really excited about any new gaming tech. It is a little bit intriguing for me to hear you say that you're not typically a handheld gamer, but it kind of won you over. I just don't think that's me. I don't think I have a life that calls for it, whereas you have like, a wife and a couple kids and so sometimes you probably could find a good time to sit down and actually be able to put that in your lap while they're using a television and I'm literally on my own so I always have yeah. multiple televisions at my disposal always sure. and it just never am I going to choose a handheld over that so I ended up balking on it for that reason but man it does sound just so super sweet it's it's tempting <laughs> it's one of those things I'm kind of like you in the same regard I have a switch but I don't use it as often as I should, even for the first party exclusives. Um, I like the idea of mobile taking it places. And like if I go on a trip or if I'm on the plane or something, but I, I don't, I haven't flown a lot in the last two years because of everything. But it, I don't, I don't see myself needing one in, in my situation right now. I'm sure I would get it and I'd play it for a while, but I'd probably just migrate back to the PlayStation. Uh, the interest is there and maybe in the future when they're more readily available obviously i'm not going to get one for a while being the the shortage and everything but it's not something i'm dying for so understandable well have you been up to playing anything brad this past week not a whole lot that i've really dove into um after your glowing review of Ayudin chronicle rising i decided to pick that up i have about eight hours into that right now and having fun with it. It's something I'm kind of turning into mindlessly playing. When it gets to the story bits, like the main missions or whatever, I pay attention, but I've been kind of skipping through a lot of the side quests and stuff when I'm turning stuff in, but um, maybe have like a TV show on or something and, and just mindlessly run. Because like you said last week, it, you, you run into the same dungeons over and over again to pick up something different and all that stuff. So while I am having fun with it, I'm already kind of tired of it, but my mentality when it comes to games is, well, I got to get through it. I got to finish it. Maybe 100% it when we get at the end. We'll see where we're at but I, I enjoy the art style i enjoyed uh there's some funny moments in it I, I messaged you in the middle of it like this just cracked me up this moment here and there's been a few of them here and there that that really got me but um that's what i've been focusing on a couple hours at a time i don't see myself putting 24 hours into it but we'll again we'll see where we're at achievement wise when we get there i tried another couple rounds of returnal i still enjoy it i think it's a beautiful game it just plays great but i really need to 
settle down and take my time with it because that first boss just I always make a mistake that just wipes the whole thing and it really gets me down and I don't want to go back to it because I have to run through the whole first section again and build everything up and hope that I can get them this time and then I'll make some little mistake and get frustrated and just go play Tetris or something. <laughs> so, But uh, other than that, um, I wanted to talk about a game that I really liked as a kid. It doesn't hold up so well today, I guess, with the writing, but it's still fascinating to me because I enjoyed it so much when I was younger. It was an early 90s game called Companions of Xanth. I've been playing it a little bit on a free website. I don't remember the name of it at the for the at the moment, but it used to be on GOG, and I'm surprised that it's not there yet. Uh, or because other games from Legend Entertainment are, and I would love to throw a few bucks at it and play it on an official application. But it's called Companions of Xanth. It's based on a novel by Piers Anthony, um, who wrote several, I think, dozens of books in this world he created called Xanth, where it really heavily focuses on puns and and fantastical creatures like centaurs and nagas and all this thing. And your main companion in this game is a naga lizard woman, I guess, in the form of a woman. But um, it came out at a time in which text-based adventures were were exists like King's Quest where you had to type in commands like put this or look around or take this and what they did was they had this like it's a graphic adventure where they gave you a side column of abilities like take look talk all that stuff so you get to pick what you do and then click on the screen who you want to interact with what you want to take and it's a fun little adventure about this guy who doesn't believe in magic and his girlfriend breaks up with him at the very beginning of the game and there's some really campy dialogue and everything the dialogue's not that great but and it's some of it doesn't really hold up either the the bet that the whole game is centered on is kind of a misogynistic bet between two friends that was like ah, this is not great but uh, as far as the world of xanth you enter this computer game you physically enter it and because you don't believe in magic you you're floating around as a computer screen until you actually do and you're you go through all these different areas you got to figure out these puzzles and get through these puns at times like there's like later on in the game there's a window pane and the way to get through it is to give it some pills because window pane you know goofy things like that but i picked that back up put a couple hours into it over the weekend and it you know brought back a lot of memories. It's one of the first like fantasy adventure games, aside from King's Quest and uh, Legend of Kyrandia. Laser really... Suit Larry. <laughs> That's a different kind of fantasy, sir. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, that same era though, ninety Sierra, you know, and those those adventure games like that. And there there are ways to play it online. It's it's interesting. They have Legend Entertainment also has another game called Eric the Unready, which I have on GOG. It has the same kind of setup with the the text-based and adventure game, whatever that, um, with an actual screen, actual graphics that you can venture through. But and then Superhero League of Hoboken, I think, is the other name. But I've I found Companions of Xanth to be a lot of fun as a kid. I'm enjoying it now, mostly out of nostalgia. But you know, being the games we love podcast, I wanted to talk about something that I grew up on and I really loved as a kid, and that's what I've kind of been dabbling in a little bit. It's really cool. I have heard of it and I had no idea what it was when you started talking about it for some reason I was getting it confused in my head with something more recent I would say mid 2000s and set in the D&D world there was like a companions of something Norgoth or something something similar to that word uh, that had caught my attention but yeah that's Wow, I was just Googling it while you were talking, and I <laughs> don't remember anything about this. I mean, this is like old school 
Ready Player yeah. One stuff right here. It's <laughs> one of the first games too, if if what I read is accurate, that incorporated. Um, if you guys remember Mist, you saw like actual people's faces in the graphics or whatever with the red book and the sure. blue book and things like that. Where they, it was one of the in that era when they first started putting people into video games, like actual people, not animated people, but you know, like tried to incorporate them in there. So like, there's moments of that game. So like like Mortal Kombat does where they filmed real people but turned them into Yeah. But it doesn't look as good. Like Mortal Kombat came out I think a little ways after where the technology was better. So it it's it's sure. it's off-putting, but it it was at the time it was like, "Whoa, those are people, like actual people <laughs> in in this yeah. cartoon world or whatever." And it's fun again the nostalgia is what holds it for me um there's they give you the illusion of choice which is always a a topic of discussion in like the telltale games and stuff that always push you in the right direction but the choices are basically made for you you just got to pick the right one like there's four characters to choose from as your companion at the beginning but there's only one right answer and then things happen throughout the game and yeah it's it's a lot of fun if you're ever bored and want to check it out there's actually youtube videos of entire playthroughs if you're interested in, if you're not interested in playing a game like that because you don't have the nostalgia and it's just too dated for you you could watch somebody else and see the kind of gameplay it is and the goofiness that comes with it yeah i'm looking at a picture right now and it says censor ship so like yep. the oh, pun that yes. you're talking about. <laughs> One of the first it's big all... things you have to do in the game is is douse those the smoke on those ships because it's censoring the people. Like there's a there's a guy at like a lumberjack outside this little town and uh, he can't cuss because the censorship is out there. You know, so you got to find all the ingredients <laughs> to. <laughs> you have to find all the ingredients to go onto the ship and douse those uh, douse those pillars of smoke so that people can talk regularly again or whatever. It's it's not a filthy game by any means. Everything's bleeped anyway, but um yeah, it's those kind of goofy puns that the game includes and it makes it entertaining. Sounds fun. That sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like that sounds great. It's a question. If you watch a full playthrough of a game on youtube can you log it and consider yourself having <laughs> played said game no I had this aaron stop with getting stop getting ideas <laughs> if you this did year, not play friends, it <laughs> my friends totally shot me down but i tried so hard i was like come on like i mean no. if i was this your backup plan for Metroid Dread if you never beat it? (laughs) I watched someone beat the boss. (laughs) Okay. I think if you're interested in a game and and you just you don't have the time to play it or or whatever, like it's fine to watch it, but I would never say that I logged that game as a game that I beat. (laughs) You know, <laughs> but, Aaron's okay. trying everything to expand his his game. He's trying play. to get my numbers up, man. I don't know. <laughs> well, speaking of getting my numbers up, I did get my numbers up by finally being the last of us to play Turnip Boy based on Kevin's Ooh. early on recommendation. So I went through the whole game in a night. You know, like you said, it's a quick. It was less than three hours for me to get through it, and I basically had hundred percented it. That was a little frustrating because Brad had gotten this thousand gamer score and showed it to me, and yet I was finding glitches that were not allowing me to complete achievement. Don't dance just because you use a different <laughs> platform. It's not like you did anything. But he played it on <laughs> Game Pass PC, and come to find out, there are a couple of achievements that are glitched. And so one of them is very simple, and it was just like hit a bomb. I mean, it was just like punch it, right? So simple to do. The other one is related to the 
end game. It's funny to say that this two hour game has an end game mode, but it does. And you have to wait for something to randomly spawn. Now, I did it three different times and it did spawn or I got it to spawn three times in various runs. So it's not that rare and it won't be that hard to fix. And they are working on it. They put out tweets. Snoozy, Snoozy Kazoo is the name of the developer. Right. And they have said that they are, they know what's wrong and they're working on it. But there's like this whole kind of complicated pipeline of getting a patch through to Xbox. I think there might even be a cost associated to it. And so eventually it'll get patched and I will go back and knock those two quick things out and be done and have my thousand percent, but or hundred thousand gamer score. But I, I loved it. It was fun. It was really cute. And I did have a lot of glitches. Like it is not a polished. It is definitely what I think of as a game pass game or what I remember so many of the old Xbox live arcade games being, it just doesn't feel done. Like it feels indie to me in the way that we have been spoiled by modern quote indies that have a much, much higher production value. This feels like someone made it at a game jam, but was just pretty talented and a really good writer. <laughs> like I, I was, oh, you're not all, giving Snoozy can kazoo enough credit. I'm I, not. I think it's a it's a really fun game, and I highly recommend it to everybody to check it out. But I mean, my stuttering, trying to go into different screens, and the way that the move like nothing about this game is clean, in my opinion. It is just not. It's not high quality kind of programming, but it is fun and it is adorable. And I'm so yeah. glad that you brought it up and you got us all to play it. And that's the one thing that like the listeners have responded on Twitter and different places and told us like, well, we're checking this one. It's the one thing we've gotten people mentioned the most is that they check this out <laughs> because of your initial conversation about it, Kevin and us, me and Brad included and everybody's enjoyed it. So, Oh, I'm glad. Cool and and for, well, cool. And if even if you don't have Xbox or Gamer Pass or PC or whatever, they just released it on mobile. So you can play Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion on your Android phone, or it's even in the iOS store. And you can play it com- for free. You can get started and play the game in order, in order to progress a little bit further into it. It's like $5.49, which is a really cheap... I, I, I think if you bought it for Xbox, isn't it more like a $20 game or $15? game it's not five i don't think i thought that was really impressive that it was released on mobile for 549 to unlock the entire thing maybe it's a ten dollar one i don't know because i have game pass but i I was i I was impressed with how it played because i actually downloaded it started playing it on android and it runs really well it it felt intuitive the controls i'm not a a touch screen like i don't play a lot of games on the phone that aren't puzzle type games that you're supposed to do touch screen i hate the emulated analog sticks but this game for movement you can put your thumb in anywhere on the left side of your phone and control it right so it's not like you have to put it where it's uncomfortable and where they set it on the screen no you're actually just putting your thumb wherever it's comfortable for you put it down and it creates a little virtual thumbstick for you and then with the attacks the way that it works instead of using your analog stick and pointing at the direction that you fight there's just a button on the screen on the right side and then you actually point wherever you're walking with the left analog stick and then it just attacks that way so the point is i think they really optimized it well for mobile they didn't try to just stick invisible 
visible controls exactly how they were with Xbox. So check it out, even if you only have a mobile device as opposed to Xbox. And I think it still would be worth it for how fun the game is and experiencing the story. And it plays really well that way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a good way to play it, I would assume. Nice little bite-sized experience on the couch or on a long train ride or plane ride or something. If you don't have a Steam Deck, especially. Well, my other stuff to talk about, a couple things. I did try out Call of Duty Modern Warfare Spec Ops mode, which I talked about a little bit last week. After I finished the campaign, it made me believe that there was more story to be had in this Spec Ops mode that could be played with up to, I think, four other people or... You could just go into like private lobbies with just a couple of your friends or you could play them solo. Didn't end up being quite what I was imagining. I see a game tell me more story and I think I'm going through a story mission and it's not that. It is definitely multiplayer lobbies that are just not straight up deathmatch or battle royale style fights. You know, you're still, some of them are co-op experiences where you're kind of fighting against a level in, as a group, which is what their kind of selling point was, but the story aspect of it is very light. It just is a setting given to it that is progressive in the story and a couple of objectives that you have to achieve uh, instead of just killing the opponent. And so they were okay. We ran into problems really quick. The lobbies are basically dead. There's a very strong difficulty in trying to get a full four-man team together and to stay together we bounced around we did some like private stuff we got wiped just the two of us trying by ourselves and they were clearly not meant to be gone through solo or with two people they were meant to be have they weren't they weren't difficulty adjustable so whatever it was a fun little experiment and moved right along not not anywhere near comparable to the campaign that i had such a blast with so done with that one Next time I get excited about playing a campaign will probably be Infinite Warfare. I'll go through that one. I was definitely glad to see that Modern Warfare, the sequel to this Modern Modern Warfare reboot. Goodness gracious. <laughs> I wish they would just name them different things. But the new Modern Warfare 2 is coming in the fall of this year. And while I probably won't pay full price for it because I really just care about the campaign, I'll wait for the inevitable pretty quick sale. Uh, but I'm definitely looking forward to that sequel of that campaign. But sticking in the war genre, Top Gun Maverick, which I've seen twice now, has completely done a number on me. And I got this wild idea that I needed to play a game related to Top Gun. And I remember playing the old NES game back when I was a kid. It was not very good. It was hard. And I looked for something that was more modern. And there's actually a more recently made, I think mid-2010s, kind of a Top Gun type of game that got decent reviews, actually. But in my research, everything pointed towards the Ace Combat series for premium dogfighting. And the most recent game, Ace Combat 7, Skies Unknown, which came out in January 2019. And that series is made by Project Aces and Bando Namkai or Bandai Namco, I should say. Whoops. And they are just the top tier when it comes to providing this experience of being a fighter pilot. And I've never gotten into their games. I've always thought that I would be just bad at these games. But I went for it, 
and bought a big edition of it with all of the DLC and all of the expansions that are out. And my son and I decided to give it a shot this past weekend. And we absolutely love it. It is so much fun. The missions are incredibly varied. This past weekend, I had introduced my son to both Iron Eagle, which we reviewed on my film podcast, and then Top Gun to get him ready for Top Gun Maverick. So we were in that mood. And just playing through these missions, we were doing much of the same type of ops that you would see in any of these movies, whether it was dogfighting in the air or fighting above the ocean or doing ground attack ops where you're flying through canyons, taking out, you know, SAM sites and all of these things, taking out oil refineries from the enemy. It is incredible. And it has a really cool upgrade system. You earn like a money type of resource and you can buy new jet types and you can buy upgrades that affect all of your jets and you can buy different or unlock different types of special weapons. So you may come equipped with, say, long-range air-to-air missiles on a specific fighter jet, but you can unlock targeting ground bombs. So then that jet becomes more viable if you're flying a mission where you need to do ground attacks, but eventually go into the air and do dogfighting. And so, you know, there's a definite a lot of trial and error that goes into it, into figuring out what level of mobility you need, what kind of missiles you need to fight. There's a lot of drones. The story is ridiculous. It's absolutely completely like whatever. It's just so stupid. And I just wish I just, I just try to skip through it as fast as I can get. I don't like it. It's terrible. And it just wastes my time. It's completely over the top. Like it's not that surprising. You know, I told you this came from Bandai Namco who makes, some like really kind of crazy over the top story JRPGs like the Tales series. And it's got that type of flavor in the storytelling. It's like two completely made up countries that are at war. I think one of them is called Europa and one of them is called Oceana or something, but they're, they're so close to real world names, but they're just completely made up and it's just, an absolutely asinine story. Like you don't care. There's the dialogue. Like someone set us up the bomb. All your base are belong to us. Oh no, no, it is. It is hyper serious and taking itself. Uh Like it it makes you, it makes you think that it believes that it is incredibly dramatic and amazing twists and turns. And your pilot does something in one of the missions that completely changes the story. And it's supposed to, I guess, get you invested in the characters. I don't care. So they were going for it. Yeah, they really were. (laughs) But like, just let me fly, right? Just let me go fly. Anyway, there's like, I don't know, 16 to 20 missions and they're pretty darn challenging. Some of them have like multiple parts that are, 20 minutes long or 14 minutes long on the first part. And if you, the game has a terrible checkpoint system, unfortunately. So if you don't complete the first part in 14 minutes, like say you fail or you, you know, I don't know, burn out and run into a mountain at one minute left of that part, then you start back at the beginning. And it can be really frustrating because it is a challenging experience, but just flying the planes, guys, it's so much fun. It is an experience that I have had a blast with. We were alternating so much so that I played a little bit of multiplayer just to get some extra money. 
and I was able to unlock some planes. I actually got a win under my belt. My second match, I took down a couple of opponents, and I, man, I was literally like jumping up and down on my couch. <laughs> and so awesome. I like that mode too, which is a, a big plus. So, do you play with a like a Thrustmaster flight stick, or were you playing with a regular controller? How did you play it? So I was playing with a regular controller because I'm normal, and I thought that oh. people that, I mean, I'm just saying, like, I thought people that, not that, I don't mean that in a negative way to people that have peripherals at all, but I think the majority of people just have a controller and just play it that way, and it works You're saying you're fine. not a hardcore enthusiast, yeah. like you don't have a, a three-screen flight setup no. and all that stuff. Yeah, I've, got it. I thought that they cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars because like a really good GT um, wheel, wheel and pedal system can cost hundreds of dollars. And so that's what I assumed for like a flight stick. But I'll tell you this, I saw Top Gun again last night and when I came home from it, that combined with the knowledge that both Ace Combat 7 has Top Gun DLC dropping this week. There are multiple jets, including... One that I think is in the trailer that is not really a fighter jet, but is in the movie, and it's going to be awesome to fly it. So those are coming out for Ace Combat 7, but they also had a DLC that just launched today for Microsoft Flight Simulator, where you can get into an F-18, you can get an aircraft carrier to land it on. It looks phenomenal. And I was like, all right, you know what? I need to try these games, and I need to play them the way that theoretically could be the most immersive and most make me feel like a pilot. And I bought one, the Thrustmaster T-Flight HOTAS 4 is what it's called. And it was on sale and in stock and it will be here on Friday. So I will have a report next week about my experience with it for sure. I am stoked beyond measure. I hope that I can execute (laughs) okay with it i did actually do some research um, to find out you know am i really really overbuying here for one experience and one game but you know microsoft flight sim being a secondary option and then i found out you can use it on things like star wars rogue squadron uh, elite dangerous which is a kind of a space sim uh, flying game and then mech warrior 5 was on the list and i was like okay Never had any interest in that, but if I can play it with this, I might have to check that out. And then Kerbal Space Program. I don't know if you guys have ever even heard of Kerbal Space or played it. Sure, no. Yeah, yeah. So it's an old indie game, um, and they're actually working on the sequel. It's supposed to be out, I think, this year. It got delayed. But it's you're these cute little, like, dudes, like an alien-type species (laughs) that looks very similar to uh, the guys in Toy Story, the little green aliens in Toy Story. And your whole goal is you're trying to build and launch a rocket. And it is very sim. So it takes into account completely physics, weight, um, spacing, what you, you know, you've got to put on different modules that you need and you don't have enough fuel. Then you shoot your rocket up and it launches and it, you know, gets up to the atmosphere and then it dies. Or if you don't get your launch angle and your velocity correct, then it'll get up there and it'll just kind of arc and come back down. My kids and I played a long time ago on PC quite a bit and had fun with it. So I'm going to have to re-download it and check it out. And just, I'm going to go through the whole gamut with this flight stick and see what I can do. 
but I yeah, hope you're ready combat. to run this podcast, Kevin, because I don't think we'll ever see Aaron again. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be escaped into the top gun zone. There are bogeys to take down, guys. There, there <laughs> The world needs me. No, but it's uh, really been a cool experience and just one of those random things that are that are so fun. Like, not anywhere in my playlist. You know, I told you guys I am very methodical and I kind of know what I'm going to do, but this just came out of nowhere and sometimes when a movie hits and things synergize i just you got to ride the wave right you gotta just go all in and you get so much satisfaction out of it and that's where i'm at with this so i'm excited the other thing i did on a whim and (laughs) had a funny story to tell you was about a link to the past this came from our tunic discussion and how similar it was And it got me to thinking about how, man, how have I never played A Link to the Past? This is considered, like, maybe the greatest Zelda game of all time. I am a top-down Zelda fan, first and foremost. Those are all of my favorite entries, well, other than Wind Waker. And I really have to experience this game. Well, it's on Nintendo Switch Online for the if you have the service. And so I fired it up and I started playing it and I was so excited and I was like man this is amazing this feels great and I don't know I played for I don't know, two hours maybe three hours and I even made Facebook and Twitter posts all about how I was terrible for never having played this game and I started to wonder why I was able to predict everything that was happening I was like this is weird I know where the village is and man I bet you if I go in here, there. oh, yeah, there's a shopkeeper there. And, oh, this boss, yeah, oh, it's going to be this worm. And all I got to do is hit him in the back. Oh, wow, sure sure enough, it was that worm. And I think I know where this, you know, wand is. And, oh, yeah, there's something behind that waterfall, just like I thought. And so I started, I paused, and I Googled, and I was like, what is going on here? Maybe I'm getting it confused with A Link Between Worlds, which was a 3DS game I've played multiple times and absolutely adore. And it's set in the same world. So Link Between Worlds has the same village and general map layout, but different everything else, like once you're in the dungeons. Well, the reality of my research and what I came to discover is, no, I've played A Link to the Past. I've actually played and beaten it multiple times. And I know everything is going to happen. And I'm still knowing everything is going to happen. And I now I'm in it, and I'm just going to keep going through it again because I have restarted it. But it's really sad that my memory is that bad that I couldn't recall off the top of my head the name of the game and that I played it, and I just felt so embarrassed by that. Uh, but I it did kind of get a little bit of a spark for a goal another it goes back to that question we talked about a couple weeks ago about goal setting that I love to have them and so this is not something I am going to be trying to finish in a certain time frame like a year or whatever but I realized I really do want to complete all of the Legend of Zelda games I love this series and I have played a good majority of them but there are definitely some big ones that I have missed so I made myself a chart I am tracking and checking off all the ones that I either own and or have access to. I've got it written down where I need to acquire them from. I'm actually going to go hunting the local um, used um, retro game store down the street this weekend and see if I can find copies of Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks, the DS games. 
so that I can play those on my 3DS. Um, the two 3DS little small games, Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages, never played those, but they're only like five bucks on the eShop, so I'll snag those. Uh, I think uh, Skyward Sword HD, which I'm very nervous about because I'm not looking forward to the motion controls, and I just know that they're really awkward, <laughs> but I want to go through all of these games. So uh, I think it's on sale digitally right now through Walmart, so I think I'm going to snag it this weekend as well. And yeah, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and finish up A Link to the Past and then slowly start checking these off. So my goal is at one time or eventually I want to have a ranking, right? I want to have in my GG app and my backlog, I want to have a list of a complete, what I feel is fair Zelda series ranking. And I just can't do that if I'm pulling from obviously memory 20 years ago when I couldn't even remember I played this game what was probably like five or six years ago, the most recent time. So anyway, that's uh that's my Zelda story. And I've been you know, loving going back through A Link to the Past and realize that it is it is probably my second favorite Zelda game, even though I didn't know the name of it. <laughs> That's a great game. It sure is. It is way better than Tunic. That's one thing it has really stuck out. Is, <laughs> I'm sorry, but like... I won't you, argue with the, that. The influences, you really can tell when you're replaying this game. I mean, it holds up today, and you can see how it's been attempted to be emulated and improved upon but this is just impeccable execution in every way the way it hides its secrets the way it sort of roadmaps you to give you an idea that maybe you could try a thing in a certain spot and then it works but it doesn't tell you explicitly there's just so many little design choices in this game that i think are what make it the complete classic and all-time great that it is. And there's just a level of detail in all of those things that games that try to mimic it have not quite been able to do. Like just being top-down and cute little character with a sword and swinging it at things is not, with some puzzles and dungeons, doesn't make you a Zelda game. It's how they implement those elements. It's the way in which the order in which you discover things and the way in which you're able to use things that make it all work together to become this incredibly cool, cohesive, like perfect experience. And it's been awesome going back through it. So there's cool. that. Well, uh, let's talk about some news before we get off of here. And we are not a PlayStation podcast, but you can blame this on Xbox <laughs> for being boring and literally not having anything to talk about. But PlayStation is doing something big. So of course this is going to be dominating the news cycle right now. Their new PlayStation Plus lineup and new tiers are going into implementation. They have started with Asian markets in a slow roll-up over different continents, and I think we are June the 12th, I want to say. could be June the 13th, but it's one of those two days, uh, the Americas. And so I want to go through a couple different topics, progressively maybe some of them, some not so bad, some maybe a little bit heated. But the first thing I wanted to touch on was just the games themselves and some of the things that they announced and put out that were going to be on there. One thing that's interesting is I was scrolling through this list just a little bit ago, Kevin, and one of the games that is on the original PS3 games list under third-party partners is Enslaved Odyssey to the West. So I'm about to have access to Enslaved oh Odyssey gosh. to the West. Yeah. Look at uh, that. Good. My, 
Yeah, I mean, basically, anytime you buy a game, it either goes on sale or turns up somewhere for it's free. free. Two weeks later. Yeah, it's great. I've learned that. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So if anyone wants to play a game with a subscription service, just ask me to buy it. I'll be. What do you want, Brad? What do you? I want Elden Ring, please. Elden Ring. Okay, I just bought it two <laughs> nights ago. Oh, great! So it. It will be free on PS Plus soon. So okay, watch great. Xbox Bethesda so Showcase at E3. They're going to announce yeah. Elden Ring is coming to Game Pass. Watch. Right. <laughs> I, I, seriously. Like, I, I've, I held off, and I don't even know why I bought it, because I have no time to play it, like, especially that game. But I remember Aaron talking about it, and it was kind of cool the way that you don't have a map, and you just as you explore you find things and i like the souls games and after playing tunic i felt like i could take on any game because that game was so hard and so yeah i played it i didn't mention it and you know maybe i'll go into it in future weeks but i i enjoyed what i've seen so far but yeah i just decided on a whim i'm like okay i'll buy it and so yeah look for it for free soon thanks kevin you're welcome (laughs) that's awesome well there is there the three tiers of the playstation Plus, and it's going to get real confusing real quick for everybody involved because that's how these services just feel like they've got to do. But you have the first kind of level of it, which is your old school PS Plus, and it gives you access to this PS4 and PS5 game catalog. And if you guys have looked at this list, it is pretty phenomenal if you are not someone who is in the ecosystem and has already had a PS5 since launch and has played every new game that comes out. I mean, we're talking, Brad's raising his hand. Is that you? No, that's not the base <laughs> level though, right? We don't get the games with the base level of PS plus. I thought we did. I is that the, I think that's the second level. Oh, but is maybe it the second I'm, level? Yeah. And then the extra, extra games are on the, on the top tier. Well, no, I think the base ex- level, the sixty dollar level, is normal. Is, <laughs> extra is essential. The first level. Sorry, yeah, essential is the sixty dollar one. Extra mm-hmm. is the next level up, and then premium is everything. Okay, yeah, got you. So then it is the second. That makes more sense. So it's the second level that gets you the PS4 and PS5 back catalog, and you know it's got Ghost of Tsushima Director's Cut. It's got God of War. Um, I'm excited because it's got both Gravity Rush games, which I've never been able to play. So I'm excited to check those out. Horizon Zero Dawn, Sucker Punches, Infamous series is on here. Insomniacs, both Marvel's Spider-Man games are on here. All of The Last of Us, uh, well, The Last of Us Remastered and The Last of Us Left Behind are on there, not the newest one. Um, the Uncharted games are all on there. Until Dawn, there's some Ubisoft stuff, Assassin's Creed Valhalla is on here. Batman Arkham Knight is on here. The Control Ultimate Edition, which we were joking about, how Kevin just bought it, and then it showed up on this right. service, for, is on there. Uh, Final Fantasy XV Royal Edition, which I'm working through right now, again, for a second time, and absolutely one of my favorite games of all time is on there. Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy is on there. Red Dead Redemption 2 is on there. So it is... St- Hollow Knight is on there. So it's stacked. I mean, it is a bunch of games that I personally have already played for the most part, but I could see this having a big draw. Two, I mean, two that I want to mention, Celeste and Dead Cells. Yeah, absolutely. Two phenomenal indie games. Like, And I'm glad that they included those, right? Outer Wilds is also on there. Not one that personally resonated with me, but I know many people consider it one of the best indies ever made. And I love that they have that mixture, right? Because... That's what Game Pass 
has such a strong hold on is getting some of the better indies on there um, as quickly as possible and giving people access to them. So I think it's a really good tier. They also now, and there's more supposedly it's going to be here. So they've said that there's going to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of games and that we're just kind of getting a snapshot at this point. There's also a classic games catalog, which comes with the highest tier, I believe. And this is going to include some games like Ape Escape, Hot Shots Golf, Siphon Filter, Tekken 2, and some Worms games. Uh, those are original PlayStation and PSP. And then they have some classic game remasters on here. Dark Cloud, Dark Cloud 2, Jack 3, Jack 2, Jack and Daxter 1, all the Jack whole series, I guess. Uh, Wild Arms 3, really good RPG. And then they have some other newer stuff like Bioshock Remastered Collection, um, the Borderlands Collection, and Kingdom of MLR's uh, recent remaster version. Any of those like make you think you want to jump out? Oh, I guess there's also PS3 games, I should mention. These are only via streaming. Yeah, via streaming, womp womp. Right, I know that's an immediate kind of eh to me because I just don't want to do that. I want to be able to download them. But it, they do have the rest of the Infamous series and the Ratchet and Clanks on there. And it, I don't know, not, not a lot in that group, honestly, jumps out at me other than Enslaved Odyssey to the West, which I would right. like to try. It's a shame that's uh, streaming only. I wish you would have grabbed it. I mean, I hadn't played it to recommend it yet, but uh, it was $3 on sale on a Steam sale down from 20 and it just went back up to 20 Yeah, well, I was never going to play it on Steam anyway. So totally Fair. understand, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think about the games they've released so far in general? What's your vibe on this? Do you feel like this is their tiers are selling themselves as being worth the money? I don't, but a lot of these things are things that I've already played or already have. So nothing really stands out. I was like, oh, this is a day one uh, thing that I have to get. I'm I'm kind of in the boat where I just want to watch it grow and see what it looks like in six months or a year, and then maybe give him my money for it because I already have enough that I ha- that I own that I haven't played. So all of this sitting there, you know, paying them to have access to these games that I may or may not play, you know, in the in the near future is not really that appealing to me you know, going through the list of everything that you named as things I've already played or already have and or tried at least and just nothing's like I have to have that this is great I think it's good for people who don't have a large library already um, to just if they're coming in with a brand new PS5 sure you know go all out you'll have all this access if especially if you didn't have access to these games in the you know the the past PlayStation 1 2 and 3 um, get a little bit of I can't say nostalgia because <laughs> they haven't played them before, but get a little taste of what games used to be like on PlayStation. But yeah, for me personally, it's just see what it turns into and then decide. Yeah, I, I think it's an incredible value. Like Brad said, if you hadn't played these games, I mean, I own a lot of these PlayStation Studio games already. So it's a bummer that I bought some of these and haven't beaten them and I could have 
probably just held out, but I got to try them out. And that's the thing with me is I like to try new games. But if you didn't have a PS4 for the, the whole life cycle, if you got a PS4 late or like Brad said, you just got a PS5, you're getting an incredible value with $120 a year. These are games that still, if you went to GameStop and bought them used, you're going to spend $15 or $20 a game. So $120 for a whole year for all those, plus the PS1 and, and PS3 games, I, I think that it's amazing. And it, they're, they've got me as a customer day one for sure. I just like the option to play them. Like I know that I don't have enough time to play all the games that I have, like Brad said, but if I want to play Ape Escape and I can turn on my PS5 and play Ape Escape, that's something to me that's worth that. It's it's like having Netflix and Paramount Plus and all the streaming services I have. Yeah, I can't watch all the stuff they have, but when that one thing comes on the streaming service that I want to watch, I like having it. And it's the same here when they if I want to play Ape Escape or if they announce that, you know, all the Resident Evil games or, uh, you know, they decide to put Fear Effect on there or whatever, uh, you know, I want to be able to have it. And and uh, even if it saves me from going to put in the disc, right? Like if I have Red Dead 2 on disc and I can now just go on there and download it from PS Plus, like, like Aaron was saying with his Zelda situation earlier, like to me, I don't know, that's where I'm at, where I kind of like if I already own one of these games on disc, I'll re-download it on PS Plus just so I can turn it on without putting in the disc in. And it's also worth mentioning too that at the premium tier that your PlayStation is going to give you trials of games too. Um, I think the list here shows Uncharted, Lost Legacy, or not Lost Legacy, Legacy of Thieves, Horizon Forbidden West, Cyberpunk, Tiny Tina's. And I imagine that's going to grow throughout the year too. So if you're kind of a frugal buyer or cautious buyer like I am uh, and you have this service, you're going to have the opportunity to try a game for, I think, a couple hours is, is the max and then decide if you actually want to buy it. So that's another perk to, to the service as well. Yeah. That's one of the great things they're doing is kind of going to be making trailer or not trailers, um, <laughs> movie talk. What, what are they called? Trials, demos, <laughs> game trial yeah. for, uh, demos for all of their kind of first party type games that are going on there, uh, new. And that's a good thing. I, I completely agree. The one thing I wondered if it might sway you, Brad, is that, they are providing trophy support for some of these older games. So, for example, it is leaked already that Siphon Filter and Wild Arms 3 both have trophies now to can be won, uh, which obviously that didn't exist back in the day when they were being made. So is that something that could ever maybe push you over if it was a game you loved from your childhood? Yeah, it, it depends on how many, probably. Um, Siphon Filter is the big one everybody's talking about right now. I remember not very well. I mean, just I don't know how to word it. I, I played it as a child, but I don't remember loving it. So I would have to go check it out and see what, you know, what it looks like. And if, if a lot of these games sometimes like don't feel good now because we're spoiled with how games feel. So um, I, it's for me, I, I have to see how these all look and then it, how they play. If they look good, if they play good, if they hit that nostalgia factor, then I mean, I, it's I can't I'm very sure that at some point I'm going to subscribe to this. I just don't know how soon it's going to be. The other kind of cool thing is that for some of the original PlayStation and PSP classic games, I don't know why just for them. But for them, they have said that there will be a user interface with a menu, basically that is like what I'm using on the Switch Online games right now, where you can save your game at any time or rewind uh, if you want to start over. I know there's questions and people have different various thoughts on that from a you know, you know completionist perspective or, a, I don't know, perfectionist perspective on gaming. But 
I mean, I use the save state right now on Legend of Zelda on A Link to the Past almost exclusively because you can just stop where you're at in the middle of the dungeon and resume and go back that. I don't typically use the rewind feature, but if I needed to in order to save myself from wasting an hour of progress, I would gladly do that. And I don't understand why anyone would be against such accessibility features. And even if I wanted to just rewind and beat a boss because I didn't beat him the first time, I mean, imagine how much easier that would be if it was just like, well, I had him down to one hit, but he got me. Okay, I'm going to go back a frame and move differently and click a button differently. And now I took him down. You know, I'm a much bigger fan of saying you play the games the way you want to play them and right. you get the experience you want to get with them and that's okay. So I think that that's a cool feature and I hope that they expand it. I get it. I, I'm of two minds there though. I mean, for how busy we are and how much stuff we have going on, I totally get going back and playing those classics and using those features because, you know, we don't have unlimited time to do that. But I can also see it being like, well, back in the day, you didn't have that. And if you really want to play it the way it was intended, it's challenging and you have to learn new moves and get better. And so playing it over is part of the original experience. So I, I see both sides of it, but I'm never going to like, I'm not going to give people crap for doing it, but I can see why some someone maybe would want to have a more authentic experience. So it, it, it play however you want, really, like you said. Yeah, choices are always good. The purists will argue that, like, you should play it the way that it was intended. But like you said, with our time and just our life and how things, you know, are just playing out every day, like, options are good. And if, if something is causing more grief than it should be and you want to get done with it, so be it. If you, you have the option to either do it the way that you choose or, or continue trying to overcome that so i like yeah. it i they include that on a lot of the snes remasters like aladdin and the yep. lion king i got that on the switch oh it's geez. such a nice feature yeah exactly i wouldn't play yeah. wouldn't play them without yeah. that honestly they're, they're freaking so hard in the not so happy with playstation side of the news we also learned that when this service launched in asia the way that playstation was going to deal with people who had previously purchased prepaid cards in order to kind of get around the full cost price of upgrading to these new tiers, how they were going to handle that. And we talked about this on one of our previous shows. We won't rehash everything, but the short of it is that I used this for a couple of years. I was able to knock mine out to, I want to say 2024 in the summer. Kevin tried to jump in and do it as well, but it happened. He's just bad luck. I just realized how many times we talk about you like having bad luck. Mm-hmm. I, but, I try um, to tell you this off the show. I'm like, there's like a little but, rain cloud that follows me around, man. It's crazy. But Kevin bought uh, some co- codes to do the same thing, to prepay some PS Plus time, which would then, according to Sony, they had said it would just strictly convert once these new tiers at the highest level, which made sense. It was kind of like a, okay, cool. They're going to reward us for getting in on the ground floor, much like Xbox did with Game Pass. And Xbox even did it for like a dollar. I think I paid a dollar for the first like three years of Game Pass. It was insane. Well, that's not what happened. Sony then took away the ability to redeem these prepaid cards so that you could not add time anymore to the point where even if your normal subscription was about to expire, Case in point, my own personal PS Plus is expiring in a few days. I bought a card for one month to just push it out one month and renew. They won't let me redeem it until the expiration happens because they 
found this loophole and they wanted to close it. They then put out a statement saying that whatever service you had in place, they would they would honor that and push it out to the furthest level. So, okay, they're closing the loophole. Sony's famously or notoriously anti-consumer, so I'm not surprised, but at least those of us who were able to do it are going to get a little bit of a benefit. And even though it's super frustrating not to be able to redeem our cards that we've already paid money for, at least when this new service launches, Kevin will be able to redeem his card, I'll be able to redeem my card, and we'll be good to go. But now what has actually taken place is people have found that if you prepaid for, say, PS Plus, or I'm sorry, PS Now in this case, which is converting into the new tier of PS Plus. God, I hate this freaking naming conventions. What I did is I ended up saving myself half the cost of the service by buying it in advance because the cost is going to double once it goes live at the highest tier. So someone like me who logs in is being told that you now are charged the remaining amount all the way up to the length of the subscription you have on file in order to go in the moment. Like your sub does not become actually usable at all until you prepay the rest to get you up to the accurate, correct new price. So for me, that means I save myself, I think, 120 bucks. When I log in, if, if, it, if the same thing happens in the US that happened in Asia, they're going to hit me with a screen that says, pay us $120 right now, or we're not activating this thing that you already paid us $120 for, which is insane to me and frustrating to me, and it is incredibly anti-consumer. And I think that there are so many ways that they could deal with this. Like even being anti-consumer, there's no way you shouldn't convert the money I've already spent into the equivalent of your new cost and just give me the year instead of two years. But to ask me to pay you more money in order to push it further out or whatever, like is just to me crazy. And I cannot believe they're doing it, but apparently customer service reps have confirmed that this is the case and because it's Sony, I have seen, you know, screenshots of this people being affected by this. Like I have no reason to doubt this is what's going to happen. It makes sense because they are like this. They don't seem to care about their customer service and their customer base. They just want to pinch every penny and make every dime that they can and yeah, I'm pretty upset about this. Um and I was just I'm curious, you know, am I off the rails? Please tell me if I'm overreacting to this guys or you know, are you guys in agreement with me? I think that it's messed up. I I agree with you. It's their fault for saying that if you already have a subscription, that it's going to convert. I mean, it, if, if other people went out and bought codes or if they already had codes, there's nothing to say. I mean, actually, what makes it even worse for me, Aaron, I didn't buy the codes because I was trying to do this. I bought the codes completely unrelated when they were at a little bit of a discount just to extend my PS Plus. And I can't even expen- extend my PS Plus until this conversion takes place. Even if I don't want PS now, it literally tells me my code is invalid. So you're talking about codes that I paid 50 to $60 for per year of my money based on their terms when I bought the codes. And they're telling me I can't even use them. That's my money that I spent on our agreement that they said I can do this. So I think that's really messed up to not let me 
extend my PS Plus. I think it's messed up to not allow people to get the new tiers based on how they said they would already convert. And then I think it's messed up for them to go back on it and say, well, actually, you did this and it went out two years. So now you're going to have to pay the remainder, like you said, before you can use it. I think it's a horrible move. The optics are terrible. Every YouTuber that covers gaming is dogging on them and not just it's not Xbox YouTube channels. I mean, it's anyone that covers the news, whether they love Sony or not. And I'm a Sony person. I I would much rather, I think I've said it before on the show, if I have the choice for the same cost to buy something on Sony or Microsoft, I go Sony. I have in the past. And this is starting to really make me consider reconsider my allegiance because I just, I don't want to support a company that doesn't care about their customers. Like if it's the same cost, I almost would rather give my money to Microsoft at this point because, you know, I was able to take advantage like you did of the Game Pass deal. And I got at least maybe not three years, but I got two years and they said it would convert that way and they honored it. And that's how it went down. I mean, Sony, it's their fault if they left it open to do this. And once they closed it off, that's one thing. But to go back on it and then to retroactively screw over everybody that maybe, you know, they tried to extend it three years. Like you said, if if you did it for three years and now your cost is triple, well, maybe you don't have the money to spend triple. And now are they going to give you a refund? Are they going to say, take your card back to Target? Or are they going to say, well, you didn't buy it from there because they didn't exist anymore. They pulled them from shelves. Is Aniba going to give you a refund? No, they're not. So you're screwed. And if Sony holds your 60, 120 or $180 hostage and you can't return your code and it's already redeemed anyway, like that's so messed up. So I'm really curious to see how it plays out. I hope that isn't the case. I hope for the people in Asia, I hope they fix it. And I hope when it comes out here, it will already be fixed and they won't do that. But if they do that, it's going to, it will really make me reconsider how much I like Sony. Like they will lose a lot of money for me in the future if they do this. Yeah. And I'm in the same boat. I think admittedly, I haven't paid too close attention to it because I haven't, I'm not invested into it like you guys are uh, with the extra time. I, I've never subscribed to PS now, but from the get go, it's been evident that Sony has dropped the ball and, and all these missteps in setting this up and going back or saying one thing, then going back on it and saying another, and then going back on that and just changing things over and over again. It's, it's very disheartening to, to see that taking place. I lost my train of thought there, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, that's another thing that takes, you know, that I think about when I want to subscribe to this is, you know, the people that it's affecting now. And I, I really hope this. I think something happened in the past. I can't remember an exact instant or uh, an example of it, but there was something that happened where they, Sony, again, dropped the ball on delivering something and then everybody complained about it and then Sony remedied it, but it's what they should have did the whole time. And I was wondering, as you were talking about it just now, Kevin, if this is one of those things where we'll we'll put ourselves in the dirt for a little bit, then look like the hero by listening to the gamers, you know? And it's yeah, like, I'm wondering if this faith, is up. You know, like, yeah. Are they doing this? Are they creating problems to solve to look like the good guys? And if that's the case, I think that's really messed up because they really gross. need to just, they need to just do it right in the first place. And they've got a lot of loyal customers like myself and like Aaron who are PlayStation people and I've bought the consoles. I've got P- my son and I both have PS5s. I've subscribed to PS Now for a long time already. Like I'm I am a PS Now I think since the beginning, I've been a subscriber. I've wow. given them my money to their new service, even when it wasn't great and didn't have that much stuff. Like I've spent a lot of money with Sony and now they're not even letting me redeem my cards that I've paid good money for. Like that's the thing that gets me again is that I didn't buy them for the deal. I bought them I when sales pop up, if I can get a sixty dollar gift card for forty five, I do it. Like I know I'm gonna spend the money eventually. So I do that with PS Plus, PS Now, 
PlayStation gift cards. Last week, I bought three $50 gift cards for 40 each. So I said 30 free PlayStation dollars. But uh, yeah, so like if you're going to tell me, oh, no, you can't use the thing that you spent hundreds of dollars on, that's that's screwed up. So yeah, I, I really hope that they fix it. And I hope they don't create more of these problems to solve just to yeah. win people over. It's just wild to me that Game Pass and services like that exist out there and they've had a couple of years to to learn, you know, kind of do research and figure out how they're going to implement this. And I know they always say that their systems are different and and it's not as easy as, as you think to do, which is maybe true, but it, it's it's just wild to me that all these examples exist out there on what to do and how to do it. And, you know, X, we talked about it last week or the week before, maybe on the Discord of Xbox has a limit of three years. You know, they give you three years to stack up this stuff and it prevents these kind of exploits from happening. And then to for Sony to just uh, say that, yeah, that's OK, we'll give you the longest duration whichever one you have longest will give you that the premium tier until that date and then realize oh we're going to lose a lot of money we better ask the players for that money during this transition period it's, it's so gross and i i like to think cuz i you know at heart i am an optimist and i hope that you know they'll clear it up but like their history of things is you know kind of leading me to believe that this is going to be a pain for a lot of people for a while and i it doesn't need to be. It, it shouldn't be. Yeah. No, it shouldn't. It's and I, I don't. Yeah, I can't buy that it's ever been done on purpose because I think that's insane. I think there's no way you win back as much favor as you're losing, regardless, yeah. because of it. The optics of it are just so bad. I mean, like I think what you just said is perfect, Brad, because you had the example. You've watched someone do it right before you, and I get that you don't want to copy them a hundred percent. You want to do your own thing, and that's fine. But Xbox didn't intend to have the $1 deal where people could get Game Pass for free. They acknowledged that that was not intentional. But what happened is once it existed, they leaned into it, they embraced their community, and they said, you know what? We're going to do this. And like you said, they put the three-year cap on it. They readjusted. They got so much goodwill. They got so many people into their service before it was really anything to speak of, before games were dropping like they are now every single couple weeks. And it created this massive growing user base of people who, when it came time to renew at the regular cost, were a whole lot more likely to put their 15 bucks into it because they had felt like they got it for free, right? For so long I did. and such. Yeah, I did too. I just and I just renewed for another year on my yeah. and Ryan's account. So I just spent two years worth of Game Pass. Yep. I got a little bit of a discount, but it wasn't a dollar. I got well, it for yeah. like $10 instead of 15 I saved maybe 30%, but I just did two more years because yep. I love it for one. But two, I'm like, yeah, I got a great deal. Like I'll keep paying for this. It just, it's, to me, it's so baffling because of what you said. Like there's, all the data is there. And it just feels like, how can you be a billion-dollar corporation like Sony and have this poor project management? Like, I do project management at a very low level at my business, and I could have told you you needed to ask these questions about how things would go down before you decided to announce it. I mean, it's, it's really not hard. This is not something that should have ever not been foreseen. And for them to act like, oh, wow, we had no idea that you guys would try to... What? In what part of history has consumers not wanted to pay less for the things they want, ever? 
like I, I don't know. It just it doesn't even make any logical sense to me. And let and alone a bunch just... of gamers, you know, who yeah, yeah, exactly. are always looking for shortcuts. You know, it's right. like, well, yeah. and who just did this with Game Pass? It's the, they literally re, like you said, they have the template, they have the history of what went down, and then people said, "Oh, we can just do the Game Pass thing." Like the precedent is there, and then they even confirmed it. And so it's silly. I, you know, it's just greed. It's pure greed. I think. Sony, the executives, they ran the numbers, they crunched them and said, this is how many we already have. And if we just multiply that by two or three, look how much money we get and how how much more we'll make and our stock or whatever the case may be. And out of pure greed, instead of saying, wow, look at all these loyal customers, they said, look at all these dollar signs. And that is gross because they are thinking very short term. And if they, and if they make that money, you know, I guarantee they will lose a lot more in the long term. And I'm just, I can only speak for myself, but I account for me and, you know, my family who buy things with them. And I'll definitely be less likely to spend more money if they don't make it right. Yeah. I think you're not alone. And and it really ties into the service, not having new day and date first party games. And you have this group of people like us who have played all these games. And so we may have, been ready to give you our money based on goodwill. I'm telling you, I'm like you, Kevin, like I'm not aching to play these games, but I already yeah. put $120 into your service because I wanted to support it because I want to see it to grow because I freaking love PlayStation and I feel disrespected and I feel like attacked personally. I'm angry, you know, like I'm mad because I feel like I'm going out of my way. I give you so much money. Like you said, I've, you know, I own a PS VR and a PS camera and a PS TV mm-hmm. and all your little weird things that you've done. And I help buy into your ecosystem. And then you treat us like this. And it's, it's infuriating. And I know that I'm not strong enough to walk away. And I know like you threatened it. And this is part of the problem is I'm that guy who so many consumers are where I'm sitting here ranting and I'm very mad. But the reality is I'm going to, be pissed off and push okay and give you another $120 if you force me to because I want what I paid for already and and I'll probably just you know keep going with it. I'll just be mad about it because yeah. I don't want to move away from you and I love your games and I think that they almost are banking on that and it's just disgusting. It's disgusting. It's, it's predatory business crap and yeah. Got to do. Well, let's hope. Let's hope that this is all for nothing, and it's yeah. going to be reversed. I, I, you know, I. They're maybe waiting to hear how the response will be, and then they can come out and be the good guys. You know, it's one of those things where they test the water, and not saying that they created a problem to fix, like you were saying, Aaron. You don't believe they did, but they may Roll have said, well, "Maybe we'll do yeah. it." And then if it's that bad, we won't. But hey, if not, you know, let's maybe we'll the, get away the with the it. Upside. Yeah, they won't, exactly. They won't, they so won't care. Yeah, let's yeah. let's see how it goes. And again, we can maybe look up back on this and go, whew, well, that was all for nothing. We got all worked <laughs> up over nothing. I hope so. Well, I think that's it for this episode of The Games We Love. As a reminder, it is still May. And so Kevin's contest is still on the table. And that is leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Give us some positive words, five stars, and you will be entered into a drawing for a copy of Cyberpunk 2077 on your platform of choice, I believe is what Kevin said. And uh, Xbox or PlayStation, those are the options well, I have yeah. for you. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> I guess I no should, PC or I, I, Epic that, Store keys that's what or I whatever meant, else. But yes, I'm glad you <laughs> clarified that. So yeah, so go leave us a review. If you want to leave it on something other than Apple's podcasts because you use a different kind of podcast player, please just quickly take a snapshot of that review and send it to us on the Twitter account or in the Discord or via email or some form of communication so that we know that you left it and we can enter you in. 
That'll be running through the end of May, and then we will draw and announce on our first episode after May that we record. And if you, if you found Turnip Boy because of my review, you owe it to us to leave a nice review that's for the show. That's a great point. Come on. I think right? that's a great point. Yep. Everyone who Absolutely. has played Turnip Boy on my recommendation, come on, leave that quick review. Hit that five star. Just say a few nice words. Doesn't have to be about Brad. Say nice things about me and Aaron at least, and then <laughs> we're good to go. No, we love Bradley Sprinkles here too. Brad uh, Barry. Brad Barry. Brad Barry. Yeah, Thank please. Yeah. Disrespect. Put some respect on his name. <laughs> oh, Brad Barry. Oh, my goodness gracious. Well, everyone, thank you for listening because we do this podcast for you and we hope you enjoy. We will be back soon. Until then, go ahead and get out there and fall in love with the game.